Well, good morning once again, church. So glad to be able to open up God's word again with you. We're in Colossians in our series, Christ Exalted Over All. And isn't that appropriate for this season? Christ over all. We're reminded again, he came. He is the one who is exalted over all things. And we want him to be that way in each of our lives. Well, I'm sure just like you, uh, you've been inundated with advertisements galore. <laughs> Magazines, Facebook, in your mailboxes, your email, all over the places. We're getting advertisements for different things that we can purchase, different things that we can be looking into. But there is one form of advertisement, if I'm honest, I'm just a sucker for. And that's those, oops, I just spilled my water here. Uh, that is the before and after things that they advertise. You know what I mean? Like, like diets or, you know, my favorite one are like th those guys who are out of shape and they take some magic pill and all of a sudden they're buff and in shape, right? That still hasn't worked for me. I've lost lots of money. I'm just kidding. I haven't. Uh, but as a kid, there, were, there was one guy I just loved watching. You guys remember who Ron Popeil was? The Showtime Rotisserie? Like, I remember watching that as a kid. There was, I loved seeing the food before, and I just could not wait to see what it looked like afterwards. If you don't remember, you might remember the slogan. But what he would do is he would put the food in this contraption that he made, and he would say this, set it and forget it. I love that transformation that took place watching that food. Well, when we open up our text today, what we see here is a far greater picture of what life is like before Christ and what life looks like after Christ. So follow along with me. We just have a few verses we're going to look at, but these are jam-packed full of good truth for us. Colossians 1, starting in verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Pray with me this morning. Lord, thank you that you have us in the book of Colossians right now. And Lord, we are looking at this understanding that Christ is exalted over all things. It's true. It's a fact. But Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always exalt you over all things in our own lives. And so, Lord, that's our prayer. That's my prayer for, for me. That's my prayer for this church, Lord, that we would exalt you over all things in our lives, Lord. That nothing would even compare to how great you are for us. And so, Lord, would you give grace this morning? Would you illuminate your word? Would you open our eyes, open our hearts, that we would perceive what we need to perceive, Lord? And that you would transform us from one glory to another, Lord. We need you. And we need you to open our eyes. So, God, do 
what only you can do through the power of your word. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So, Christ exalted over all. That's what this whole series is all about. Last week we went through what I think is one of the greatest passages of Scripture, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, where it just speaks of the fact that Jesus is preeminent. He has first place. He is supreme over everything. He has the right to do as he pleases. And as believers in Christ, we have great hope because we know that he does everything to his glory. And he does things and he works things out for the good of those who love him. It's great news for us today. And so today, we're taking a look now inwardly at ourselves. And I want us to ask ourselves this question. Have you been reconciled? Have you been reconciled to God? That's, that is a super important question for us to understand. How, how would I answer that? Have I been made right with God? Does my life lay in the hands of Christ? Have I surrendered everything over to him? Obviously, this question has eternal ramifications for us. And it matters how we answer this. And so... The way we're going to answer this is actually by answer, asking a few more questions. And so I want to start us off with this question here. What exactly were you created for? What were you created for? This is where I think so many people miss the boat when it comes to Jesus. Like, what is this whole church thing all about? Why do I need to do this? Like, I look around. I really don't see Jesus making that big of a difference. So what's the point of all of this anyway? I think it all comes back to the Understanding that we need to understand why were we created in the first place. We were created with a purpose. And we see, we read at the end of last week, when it comes to creation, when it comes to Christ, Jesus, by him all things were created. But we also read that all things were created through him and for him. Why were we created? We What were we created for? We were created to glorify Christ. We were created to reflect Jesus. We were created to make much of him. And so therefore, that's an all-consuming statement for us. We were made to make much of Jesus. We are not our own. And often we get that backwards, don't we? We don't ask, what can we do for Jesus? We ask, Jesus, what can you do for me? But we read scriptures such as 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. It says this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. We were created. We were bought with the price. We were made to glorify God. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 10.31 this, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whether you eat, whether you sleep, whether you drink, go to school, work a job, sit in church, raise your kids, love your wife, love your husband, live single. Whatever you do, everything 
is to be for the glory of God. That's what we were created for. And isn't it obvious that when we live life according to the way we're supposed to live life, things go well for us? Isn't that true? So we tell, I tell my kids all, that, all the time, like, you want things to go well for you? And when they're in trouble, things aren't going well. I'm like, why aren't things going well for you? Because I'm not obeying. Exactly. And the same is true for us. God has called us to live a certain way. Consider this amazing airplane that I made. Why do you think I made this airplane? Why did I make this? To fly, right? Now, you might want to watch your eyeballs and stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if it flies, all right? This airplane was created to fly. Let's just see how this goes, and then I'm going to need it back. This flew okay. No eyeballs were hurt in the process of this flying of the plane. So it flew, right? Maybe not great, but it flew. It was created to fly. And as long as it sticks with flying, it's great. But here's what happens. Just like, let, let's, let's say this plane decides, you know what? I think I want to be a boat. I think I'd be much better as a boat. And so it sits there in the water. Now, we could all think that, you know, for a, for a bit, that plane does all right floating. But what's going to happen to that plane as it sits in this water over time? It's going to get soggy very quickly. I could pick it up right now. Is it going to fly? It's not going to fly. And so this is what happens for us. God has created us for a purpose to glorify him. We're made to live for him. But just like the airplane who says, I want to be a boat, we decide, you know what, I want to be God. And what happens? Creates an awful mess. And we see here in verse 21, you, you were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. What happened? In the garden was that Adam and Eve, first of all, they were created perfect. Imagine that. They had no sin for a time. In their life, there was no sin. And yet, they were tempted with this reality that, first of all, God is God, but they wanted to be God themselves. And so things took a turn for the worse when they decided, I'm not going to live for what I was created for. And so they were alienated. Why? Here's the next question. Why? Were we alienated from God? Why were we alienated from God? Well, we look here. Verse 21, let me read it again. You were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We're alienated from God because we are hostile in mind. What does that mean? It means that our thinking is evil. We were born with evil thinking. Our intentions, every single person born has evil intentions, evil thoughts. And you know, I hear this all the time from people who, who say, well, I believe in God, or I'll give God a shot, or I believe in God, and I believe in multiple things. We have this thinking sometimes that we can be neutral when it comes to our understanding of God. But let me just say this right now. There is no neutrality when it comes to God. We're not neutral. We are either for him, we're with him, or we are against him. And when it comes to each and every person without exception, we are born from God because we are evil, period. 
And this could be a hard thing for us to even comprehend what we think is true. And we can look around. I bet you can think of people right now who you think, man, they're a moral person. There's people in, in the world who aren't like, man, they, they do things better than I do. Yet, if we deny the deity of Christ, we deny that Jesus is God, if we deny that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God, we are hostile in mind, no matter what our behavior looks like. Because our thinking when we think apart from Jesus being Lord and living for him as Lord, our thinking is only for ourselves. All of our good deeds are selfishly motivated. We are evil in mind. And naturally what happens when we are evil in mind, it leads to doing evil deeds. Right? What goes in comes out. Just like a computer, right? What you put in the computer comes out of the computer. You don't put something into the computer, something different comes out. Whatever we are putting in our minds, it is coming out in our actions. Now, we can disguise them pretty well, can't we? We're pretty good at hiding things. But before God, the truth is we are hostile in mind by doing evil deeds. And that has separated us from him. That has caused us to be alienated from him. And we're like this airplane here who was created for one thing. Its goal is to fly. But when we decide like this plane wants to be a boat, we can no longer do what we were created for. This plane can no longer go anywhere. It's useless. And that is true for us when we live as though we're in charge. And so, because of that, we have been alienated from God due to our evil thinking that has led to our evil deeds. So that brings us, okay. That seems very hopeless. So how do we become reconciled? Who brings about this reconciliation with God so that we can do what we were once created to do. And we see verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So who brings about reconciliation with God? It's Jesus. Jesus. The one we talked about last week. The one we so, so beautifully see in verses 15 through 20. He is the one that through his death on the cross has reconciled us. We talked about this last week when it comes to reconciliation. It's a work of God. We can't do enough to make ourselves right. We can't, like this airplane... No matter, even if it sits out and dries, it will never be the same. It could never take itself and become an airplane again to be used to fly. It's toast. It's done. It's completed. There's nothing it can do. Jesus has to intervene. It's a work of God. We talked about this too. Reconciliation is a work that has already been accomplished. 
It's already happened on the cross. We don't have to wait for it. The decision comes for us to bow our knee before him, to repent of our sin, to turn from our sin, and confess Jesus as Lord. That's how we find reconciliation. The work has already been accomplished. And we know that reconciliation happens. It was achieved at the cross of Jesus. That was the only way. The only thing that could bring us back into perfect relationship with Jesus, with God, was the death of a perfect man. And there's only been one that has lived his whole life that way. And that's Jesus. And he accomplished it on the cross. I read Ephesians 2 for you. I'm going to read it again just to remind ourselves what we were like. You were dead in the trespasses of your sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then those two words in verse 4, but God. Through his son. And we read later in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God. Salvation is a gift from him. Not by works. Nobody can earn this salvation. It comes through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Apart from Christ, we are utterly lost. We've forgotten what we were created for. There's nothing we can do. And so, believers, it's not about the need to be improved. Right? When we're born in this world, we're born dead. We're not born with some, some issues. We are born completely dead, depraved, separated from God. Nothing we can do. We're like this plane that is just an absolute mess right now. It's beyond fixing. This plane doesn't need a little bit of work done to it. It needs to be completely remade and renewed. And so Jesus' death on the cross makes it to where we are a new creation. Created afresh and anew with a new heart. He takes out the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. This reconciliation can't come by our good works. It can't come by pulling up our bootstraps and being good enough. It can only come when we surrender to Jesus because of what he has done for us. On the cross. When Christ reconciles us, he makes us into a brand new creation. And now we can do what we were once created to do. And here's the ultimate goal. Why, why does Jesus reconcile us to him? It's, it's to do these things. Verse 22 again. In order to present you holy. That word holy is to separate, separate from all of creation. Isn't it true, those genuine believers that you see, we're just different. You look at the world, there's just a different flavor. You meet people and you're like, 
man, that person is a Christian. <laughs> it's amazing, like, how often they, they kind of stick out like a sore thumb when you meet them and you understand, like, what Christ does to a new creation. Like, they just stick out. It becomes obvious. We're separated. We become separated for his glory. Blameless, above reproach. Now, this doesn't mean perfection, right? Nobody here is going to get saved, and then all of a sudden they're going to get it all right. Jesus didn't come for us to have perfection here on this earth. He came to begin that perfection. And one day he will complete it at the day when he returns for us. So this isn't about being perfect, but what it is is like we are making progress. We are not who we used to be. I look at that man who was dead, and I see where I'm at now, and, and I'm blown away the fact that God would do that. So he is making us new, and he's going to present true believers as holy and blameless above reproach because of the blood of Jesus Christ, not because of us. So here's the question that we want to go to in light of all of this. How do we know if we've been reconciled? Like, How do we know that's actually been taken place? You're saying these things, but how are we to be made aware? And then Paul says these very Interesting words in verse 23. Frankly, some of you, and for me, it can make us a little bit uncomfortable. Look at what it says. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Look at that first line again. <laughs> he'll, pre he'll present us holy and blameless and above reproach if you continue in the faith. Now, what is this saying exactly? Now, we, we must be clear that we understand what he is saying. Because right now, maybe you're thinking, well, Ben, you just said... That there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. So this seems like there's something we got to do to keep it. Like it's all on us. Certainly we can take that verse and we can run with that idea. And we can also look at other scriptures and we can take other scriptures out of context. Let me just read another one for you that by itself seems like it's saying it is up to us to keep our salvation. We better, we better do good works in order to make God still love us. Look at James 2.17. Let me read it for you. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And certainly, our natural tendency with all of this is to want to know, what do I need to do? Many of us are drivers, and we want to know, how do I make this right? And we often judge others, right, by their, you better start doing better. So what is Paul saying here? Is he saying that in order to keep my salvation, i got to be a good boy? <laughs> and I would argue, as we look at the rest of Scripture, that is absolutely not true. Consider what Philippians 1.6 says. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Who is the one who began a good work in us? It's God, right? If God began it... We didn't begin the work in us. God began the work in us. He will bring it to completion. Now, I want you to turn right now. 
Keep your finger here, but go to 1 John. Go to 1 John. It's right towards the end of the Bible. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. So right at the end. 1 John 2, this is critical for you and I to understand when it comes to what Paul is trying to say here. 1 John 2, verse 19. They, that is, other people who were claiming to be Christians, went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Paul is not saying that somehow God can rescue you, but then you can lose it and screw it up. Rather, what we see here is an important theological understanding. We call this doctrine the perseverance of the saints. And here's what we mean by that. A person who has been genuinely converted to Christ will persevere to the end. In other words, I don't believe there's any such thing as backslidden Christians, as if we can go off the rails. We said a prayer when we were five, go off the rails, and that person is saved because of the prayer he said at five years old. If, the, if we go off the rails and leave God, just what First John says is true for us. We were never a part of him. We were never with Jesus. If we run from him, if we take off from him for years, there's no fruit to say that we are Christians. There is no reason for us to think that that prayer that we said when we were six years old meant anything at all. How do we know we've been reconciled? We know that something has happened in the past if 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, however many years the Lord gives us, we are still continuing in the faith. We don't do those good works in order to keep our salvation. Those good works, that clinging to the truth of God's word just affirms that Jesus rescued us in the first place. And the natural progression of a true believer is to become more and more like Christ. Not to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what Jesus is. We progress in our faith. We become more and more like Jesus. Listen, believer or person, if you're not a believer, if you are the same person today as you were five years ago, then let me encourage you. The kindest thing I could say is you should question your salvation. You very well may find yourself unreconciled this morning. Only those who continue in the faith are those who are truly believers to begin with. Is that clear? That's a hard thing. I don't want you to walk away thinking, i gotta, I got to buckle up. The reason is if you're not buckling up, something's wrong because the Spirit's not working in you, right? Remember Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created in good works, created that we would do good works, which he prepared before us in advance, that we should walk in them. We're his workmanship. He's the one who works through us, and therefore, if we don't see the Spirit working in us, the Spirit is not in us. And the Spirit has not rescued us. Are you walking with the Lord? Are you persevering? 
when hard things come to your life, do you throw God out the window and run away? Or even through the suffering and the horrible things that happen to you, somehow God is still clinging on to you and you see it. And I know some of you, you've gone through some terrible things. I've shared with you of losing my brother was horrific. It was devastating. But only devastating in the sense that somebody who was once here left too early. Not devastating to our faith because the faith proved genuine because Jesus is holding on to us and we find ourselves holding on to him. So what keeps us in the faith? Well, the, the main answer is Jesus, but we see here, verse 23, look there again. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And Paul goes on to say, this is the same gospel I preach to you. This is the same gospel that the world is, is seeing. It's been proclaimed through under all creation. By God's creation, his glory, the gospel is displayed. But we continue by remembering the hope of the gospel, right? That's why we continue to look into his word. We continue to dwell on the words of God because it reminds us of the hope that we have him. Why do we preach through scripture? We preach through scripture so that it goes in deep. So that when those trials come, we've been dwelling on God's word. We've been dwelling on his promises. And so we are clinging to the word of God. And those promises come to light in our lives. That's why the, this, is, this is the beauty of like morning by morning, day by day, night by night, whatever your preference is, getting in the word. Listen, not every morning do I walk away from reading and think, man, that was amazing. <laughs> like, it just doesn't happen. Sometimes I walk away thinking, man, Lord, I don't know if that was my heart or I'm just tired or what. But you keep doing that day after day. You are building in yourself. You are giving the Holy Spirit truth to work on so that when those trials come, those promises that you've been studying week after week, month after month, year after year, are coming true to fruition because you're clinging to Christ. Don't forget the hope of the gospel. Do you find yourself beating yourself up? Maybe that's something that you, like you struggle with and certainly that's a struggle with me and something that I still battle with where you screw up and it just ruins like your whole week. And you kind of give yourself like this timeline, all right, I got a week to get over this. You ever do that? Like I'll get back to God in a week. I don't even deserve to be in his presence right now. Well, we don't deserve to be in his presence in our greatest days. <laughs> that's why he came. Hebrews 4 says that we can approach his throne of grace with confidence to find grace and mercy in our time of need. Believer, hold to the hope of the gospel. Your sin is never too great where you can't go to him. But once again, are you persevering in the faith? Have you been reconciled? And that brings us back to the title. Have you been reconciled? Do you see the work of the Spirit Moving in your life. I'm not saying perfection. Don't hear that. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't like think, oh, man, look how good I am. Usually it's like, oh, woe is me, Lord. I'm a screw-up. I'm a screw-up. I'm a screw-up. Look at what I've done. And then I stop and pause and realize my old self is much further away than it used to be. Can you do that? Can you look back over the last year, even in the midst of COVID-19, 
do you see that, you know what, even though this year has stunk, <laughs> that you're still clinging on to him, or rather he's clinging on to you? Do you realize that if you're a true believer in him, he will never leave you or forsake you? But if you look the same as you did a year ago, you, have, you may have never been reconciled to begin with. And the greatest thing for you is to go to somebody today to work through these things that you would not walk out this door with questions. Mark, Aaron, or myself, we'd love to spend time with you. If you do look back and you're amazed at what God's work is, what God has done in your life, first of all, I pray that you would be amazed. Because he is the one who's creating you to the image of his son. It's not about you. So may you be amazed. May you be utterly amazed at what he has done in your life. And so, all of us, how do we know that we have been reconciled? How do we know that's something that's happened in the past? We know because we can keep going in the faith. That's how we know. Don't lose the hope of the gospel in your life. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, there are some deep truths here in just these three small verses. In my heart, Lord, burns that each and every person here would take a good hard look at their life. And ask themselves, do I see the work of God in me? Am I a different person today than I was a year ago, two years, five years, ten years? And Lord, for those who can't see a difference, God, would you help them to process through that truthfully and rightfully so, Lord. I don't want to lead them astray and think that somehow it's up to us. It's not. But yet, all throughout scripture, Lord. Even you say that those who love me are those who keep my commandments. And so we should be able to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Not perfectly, not all-consuming, but gradually increasing. So God, would you, for the true believer... Would you give them overwhelming grace and joy to see, yes, I am different, that they would have a greater confidence in you, a greater joy for you, a greater love for you. Remind them that the work is yours. You deserve all the glory. We plant, we water, but only you bring the growth. So God, humble us as believers that if there is any fruit, if people look at us and see you, may that, just, may that blow us away that they would see you in us. Because it's not about us. And God, for those who, there's no fruit, convict them, Lord. Don't let them leave here without repenting and turning to you and surrender. That they would know and that you would, they would see such difference in their life this week. Where it would lead them to overflowing joy in you. And then lead us all to go share the good news, Lord. Christmas is not about gifts. It's about the gift that was given on a cross. God, let that be our song. Let that be our joy. May Christ 
be exalted over all things in our life. May he be the one that we magnify. Not just in our words, not just here on Sunday mornings, but let it also be with our lives Monday through Saturday. At our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our schools. Let it be true. Let it be lived out. Let it be seen. Let it be heard. Let us have an impact for your glory, Lord, in this community. God, thank you for the work in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing in response?